Good morning. Uh, this morning we're going to do something very strange for me. Um, I, I have, I want to take this morning and do a state of the church. I want us to talk about some of the figures. You have a piece of paper that was in every bulletin where where we are as a church. Uh, Fiscally, where we are in attendance, all that kind of stuff. And I, I really started to call this having a family meeting, but I knew that that would strike fear in the heart of everyone. Because when a church says we're going to have a family meeting, that usually means somebody's going to quit or somebody's mad about something. And so I want to say up front that I know of. Now, I'm sure there's some people in here who are mad about something. I, I, I know anybody that watched Tennessee or LSU play, they're mad right now. But... Um, as far as I know, there's nobody mad or upset. I'm not resigning. Mark's not resigning. And if he did, we'd chase him out to the car and make him stay. So I, it's not that at all. This is just a time where I want to, A, let you guys know where we are, where, our, uh, where my heart is, where the heart of the staff is. And then actually, I had a professor in seminary that would say constantly, fear the open mic. Because when you open a mic up and let people ask questions, sometimes you get some crazy stuff. Uh, I was telling the guys in the sound booth, I had a lady one time that I made the mistake of giving her the mic. And she started talking about how she, she had, 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 had a discussion with this lady and had talked to her this last night and all this stuff she had said. And everybody in the room knew that the lady that she's talking about had died about a week before. And everybody's going, oh my gosh, what do you do? And so I'm sitting there thinking, do I tackle her? Do I yank the mic out of her hand? How exactly do I handle this? But we're going to have a time where people can ask questions. Because one of the things that I want to be a hallmark of my time at North Glencoe that I hope goes until I'm, I'm 76 is that we are completely open. I never want it to be said that nobody knows what's going on. And so that's what we're going to do today. And I just wanted to preface that before we get started. So let's open up with prayer. Father God, as we look at what's going on in this church, God, I pray that we would do so with a thankful heart, realizing that all the mistakes are ours and all the good is yours. Lord, that anything that we do to honor you and glorify you is first a gift from you that you are working through us. Lord, I pray that in this service this morning, you would move. Lord, these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said in the beginning, what I'd like to do is just share a little bit about uh, my ministry of philosophy and kind of the way that we do things as a staff and the way that I do things in leadership. And any conversation that we have about that needs to start with this book. There's a popular pastor that this last week said um, that the problem in the church today is we're too tied to this Bible. And I would absolutely, unequivocally repudiate that. The problems that we have in the church isn't that we're too tied to this book. It's the fact that we walk away from it and do our own thing. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And if the God that created the universe gave us a message, we'd be fools not to follow it. And it is profitable 
for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In Romans 15, 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. And as long as I have anything to do with the church, the only, this church, the only thing that will bind our conscience is this book. And we will live by it and we will die by it. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is the book that he gave us. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And so as a part of this church and as a part of the church universal, we don't study this book, live in this book, so we know every word that it says, so that it oozes out our pores to our own detriment. We should be so saturated by the Bible that when a mosquito bites us, it flies away singing Amazing Grace. I made that up on the cuff. That's pretty good stuff. <laughs> so the guide that we follow in this church is the Bible. And the reason we do It's because of what I put on my Facebook post. Jesus loves me. This I know. And how do I know it? Because the Bible tells me so. And there are times when I don't feel particularly loved. And I can run to this book. And it doesn't change. It doesn't equivocate. It doesn't argue. It just says what it says. So that Jeremiah said, let it be a hammer. Let it be the fire. Our guide for ministry is the Great Commission, the text that was read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And as your pastor, that is my primary church growth manual right there. So if you just look at that text briefly, there's a preparation for the mission. The first thing that we saw before they could, we could go on mission, they had to obey. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, which would point us back to the Bible. We need to do what we're told to do. And before we can be on mission, there's worship. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. Worship is something that should permeate and run our lives. Whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all to God's glory. Our lives should be worship. We so often confuse worship with that 45 minutes before preaching. And we we call that worship and and, and it is. It's, It's a part of it. But real worship is something that just works through our whole life as we do whatever we do to God's glory. So that if you work at Goodyear, you make the best set of tubes you could possibly make to God's glory. I try to preach to the best of my ability to God's glory. If you're a fireman, be the best fireman you can be to God's glory. If you're a writer, be the best writer you can be to God's glory. So that people look to you and see the Savior reflected back at them. 
and our life becomes a worship. If all we do, if we reduce worship down to the 40 minutes that we, the 30, 40 minutes that we have here on Sundays, then your life is, is a desert. Live a life of worship. And so before the disciples could be told their mission, before they could go on mission, they worshiped Jesus. And then Jesus told us the purpose of the mission. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And as we've, I said two Sundays ago, as Robert Smith said in his sermon, it ain't about you and it ain't about me. It's about him. And Jesus is so awesome. He deserves the praise of the nations. That's why we do missions. As John Piper said, missions happen because praise ought to happen. And so we tell Muslims about Jesus so that they can worship him and praise him because he deserves their praise. We tell people who are on the street about Jesus because he deserves their praise. We tell that drunk that lives next door to you about Jesus because he deserves their praise. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said. Go therefore. And if we get that out of whack, then it doesn't make sense. Because if we make it about us or we make it about the lost people who come in the, in the building and not about Jesus, then it just gets confusing. So we, as a church, try to consciously ask, how does this thing that we're doing, whether it's basketball or whether it's the, the celebration in the park, we ask, how does this lift up the Son of Man? It's about Him. In Revelation 5.12, And then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We serve a Savior that is worthy. Now the result of the mission, and this is my favorite part, if we make disciples and we do what Jesus told us to do, he said at the end of that, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you notice that that statement, and we quote that verse all the time as a part of an if-then statement. As you go, make disciples. As you're making disciples, I'm with you, even to the end of the age. If you're not about the business of making disciples, that promise that I'm going to be with you isn't there. So first, we're about making disciples. We see that again when Jesus called his disciples. He said this. It says, And he appointed twelve, in Mark 3.14, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named disciples. Why did he appoint the disciples? Why did he call the disciples? Why did he save you? This is what the text said. And he appointed twelve so that they might be with him. The end game of everything that we do is about walking with and having a relationship with Jesus. Because you know what, church? There are times when you're going to be hurting. I can't be there for you. I don't know about it. You had not put it on Facebook yet. Jesus can be there with you. And so this, what this text says is that he appointed the twelve so that they might be with him. He, his promise that Lord will be with you always, even to the end of the age. 
So let's look just real briefly at what the mission is. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So everything that we do in this church, I ask the question, how is that about us making disciples? The The role that Jesus gave the disciples was, I want you to go out. In fact, as you go is a better way to translate it than necessarily just go. Both have a part of it. But as you go through your day, be about making disciples. The mission of the church is about making disciples. We make disciples so that people come into this church and when they first get here, they're lost, they don't know about Jesus. And then when, when they walk away from this ministry, they're following Jesus and they're abiding with him and they're being with him. Now, how do we get that way? Jesus assumed we wouldn't know how to do it, so he told us in the text. He said, make disciples. First, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think that encapsulates they got to be saved. They can't be a disciple unless they're saved, Right? And so the first thing that we're about is telling people about Jesus so they can walk with him, so they can have a relationship with him. And then the second thing we we are about is by taking them and discipling them and drilling them deeper, which has changed some of the way we do things since I've been here. So, for example, I've asked every staff person that's here to have a ministry team that surrounds them that has a group of people that, so Donna has a group of people that she can go to and ask for prayer, that she can go to and say, okay, we, we're, we're going to do VBS, y'all help me plan this, that she can go to. Garrett's the same way. Everybody who's on staff has that group, that ministry team around them, and that does two really neat things. First of all, it pulls people in so that they're serving their Savior. You see, what pastors are commanded to do is to equip the disciples for the work of ministry. The Bible doesn't say it's my job to do all the ministry. It's your job to do all the ministry. It's my job to equip you. And so as Garrett is working with the youth, we have a team of people that are coming along beside him, and they're also teaching. They're also working in those events. They're also serving. And by doing that, A, we get, we get labor because we need help. And B, it allows those people to grow as they're serving. You see, God made us to where if I just sit at home, if I just sit in this room and hear the sermon being preached, and I'm not actually giving back, I'm not serving, I don't grow. And so we try to push you guys into service, into doing stuff. We're even starting a youth council, so we're going to be asking our teenagers to lead their youth group. Because we want them in active service. And so everything that we do as a church, we literally in our staff meeting sit down and ask the question, how does this event, basketball, take basketball, how does basketball, us doing EBA League basketball, how is this making disciples? It may be that the answer is it's not. I think Matt Knight would disagree with that. We had somebody that last year got saved through basketball. Harley Goble, one of the elders of this church, got saved through basketball. And so basketball is definitely some place that as we bring people in to play basketball, we can do a little quick devotion, tell them about Jesus, but we get to live our lives around them. I think one of the reasons why God created the church model that he did, where your pastor is standing here in front of you and I'm living among you, is you get to see me fail. And and you know what? If you hang around much, you get to see me fail a lot. If you're coming through the line Friday, Friday night while I was taking money at the, at the gate for Glencoe, you might have seen me fail 
really bad because I was getting really frustrated as everybody came out and gropped at me because they couldn't park in the reserve parking. And I'm like, I'm not the one that made the rule. Just give me five bucks and go park. <laughs> Regardless, I want to look just a little bit at some of the numbers. Our average weekly attendance last year was about uh, 600. And now that number is about 623. Right now it looks like we have about 480 in here, so I promise we're not making these numbers up. <laughs> it's just Labor Day weekend. Our Sunday school numbers uh, last year was 186, and this year has been 203. The children's ministry, which is really, if you do any work with church growth or church planting, the children's numbers is where you want to see stability because uh, people come and go and visit the church. You want to see that children's number stay stable. Two, 2015, we had 72. 2016, we had 76. On Wednesday night, which uh, on Wednesday nights is really when we do our big youth evening. Our average last year was 54, and right now our average uh, since uh, Carrie and uh, Stephanie stepped away uh, is now about 69. And then our giving last year, our total from August to August was $7,800. And this year is $762,371. We are seeing growth across the board in every area. And that's not because of anything that we're necessarily uh, doing right or wrong. Um, Let me just share something with you. Since... I've been at North Glencoe. I've had a couple of churches around the southeast that, that have had, had problems similar to what North Glencoe uh, went through that have called me and said, would you be willing to come to our church and just help us get over this spot? And this is what I always say. I'm not an expert on anything. But I will tell you what has helped North Glencoe. The only reason why North Glencoe is recovered is because the people of God were willing to get on their face and call on their God, and he moved. So you don't need somebody who knows a bunch of stuff because I ain't your man. I think that all the growth that we've seen at North Glencoe has been because of the time that we've spent in this altar and the time that people walking around this building spend praying and crying out to God for this service, and the willingness that all of you have had to turn to God and say, we need you. Because when we have the, the, the good common sense to believe that Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. And we have been crazy enough sometimes to get on our face and do that. And when God's people call on the name of God, God moves. And it's been amazing to watch. This last Jubilee, we got to see two people get saved. It's just awesome to see dead people come to life. And so I believe that's where we are as a church. And so... As scary as this, as scared as this makes me, let's open the floor for questions. I will ask that we, we limit it to questions and then ask your question and then uh, please just have a seat and I will try to answer to the best of my ability. I don't know everything that's going on in the church and so if I don't know the answer, what I will do is um, I will, will write a response and we'll put it on the webpage and then I will link it on Facebook. 
One real quick thing that I, I do want to address before we open the floor, on, and that's on giving. Uh, I want to say up front that since I have been here, I have, we have tried really hard, really hard to be as transparent as possible with every penny that's given to this church. One of the things that scares me as a pastor is money. I read the story of Eli's sons that did not take care of the gifts that were given to God, and that puts the fear of God in my heart. Now, I personally have no access to money. When I was ordained, the man that ordained me said to me, the man that led the ordination council said, Tommy, two things destroy ministries in America, sex and money. So before I lay hands on you to ordain you, I want you to take an oath with me. Before God, I want you to take an oath that, number one, you'll never be alone with a person of the opposite sex who's not in your family. And number two, that you'll never have access to money. That you don't count, you don't take money. If some of you have tried to hand me an offering envelope or something, I won't take it. And so that day I took that oath. And thankfully, up to this point, I've been faithful to that. I, I have no access to the money, but I do help set the policy. And so what we do now is every penny that we spend, literally down to the receipts, Miss Carolyn spends about two days every month taking the receipts, taping them onto a piece of paper, scanning them, and those are put on the website for any member to go to and see. Anybody in here can go look at every penny that this church spends. And you can hold us accountable to it. I've had people come and say, hey, why would y'all spend money at Leesburg's bait and tackle shop? And I said, well, look, if a man's got to go fishing for ministry, he's got to go fishing. No, I said, well, we were doing something over here and we had to stop and get gas. That's why we spent money there. I ain't spending $45 on worms. We filled up the van. But you feel free to do that. You need to hold us accountable. That's God's money. And God will definitely, the, the book of Hebrews says, that every elder will give an account. I take that extremely seriously. The second thing about giving. I am a terrible preacher on giving. Because I've been around so often done wrong. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church where every time the pastor got in the pulpit, all he did was beg. I, my personal belief is this. A, where God guides, he'll provide. B, he don't need your money. If we're doing what God told us to do, he'll provide. The reason why I want to address money today is this. This was a conversation that was overheard in this church. Someone uh, was talking to another person and asked a question about tithing. And person A said, oh, we don't do that in this church. And that scares me. Because if you aren't giving, the person being robbed is you. I still believe that where God guides his church... He will provide. But I also believe 
that God instituted us giving to provide for his body for a reason. We're the ones who's blessed. I want to read a text that has been so terribly misused. It's scary, but I want to read it because it's in the Bible, whether other people have misused it or not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each man must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So, now I'm not, I don't think what this text is saying that if you want $1,000, give $100 to this ministry and that seed will get, give you that back. I think men who say that are liars and they're charlatans and they're trying to rip you off. I think that what this text is saying is that as God blesses you, just like we've talked about with your gifts, if you're a singer and you're a good singer, God didn't make you a good singer for your benefit. He made you a good singer so that you can benefit his body. If God has blessed you financially, largely, give is that way because he's blessed you so that you can bless his body. If God has blessed you just a little bit, give within your proportions. And as you give, God will bless you according to this text. It does not mean that you're going to necessarily get a new truck and a pony. It doesn't mean that you're going to get a river lot and a place down at, and, and Gulf Shores. What it means is, is that in the giving, God grows in you because you know what? Where a man's treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so I want to do something. Philip Higginbotham told me he had heard a pastor do this. And I bet his stomach just flipped. Um, so I'm going to do something. And I shared this with the staff, and they all argued with me and told me reasons why it wouldn't work. If you say, I can't afford to give, I can't afford to tithe, I can't afford to put anything in the offering plate, I'm going to make you an offer. Put God to the test. And if you will give faithfully for a year, and God doesn't meet your needs... I'll give you your money back. I'm offering a money back guarantee. <laughs> My God is faithful. And when we give, he gives back, pressed down and overflowing. Now I want to share with you guys, not to make myself look special. When Ann and I went to Columbia, um, we were moving from uh, a house to an apartment, and we couldn't take any of our furniture. And so we thought, we're not going to get anything for used furniture anyway. So we gave it all away, gave all, all of our furniture away. And mom, mom, I love you, but my mother was like, that is not taking care of what God has given you. And she gave me a real hard time about it. And so we gave all of our furniture away. And when we came back from Columbia a few years later, as we were preparing to leave, I worked for Drum and Coal. One of the managers came up to me and said, Hey, dude, um, we have had all these people in Columbia that we're not going to have anymore, so while we're shipping you back, do you want this household of furniture that you're using? 
And I said, absolutely. And so I ended up, I gave away one couch, and when we got back, I had three. I gave away one TV cabinet, came back and had like five. We were giving out, we were giving out furniture when we came back from Columbia like it was candy. Hey, who needs a couch? Because I don't have any place to put this extra couch. You cannot outgive God. Now, I've said before that I'm an expository preacher. That's who I am. Um, And so I will continue. We're going to start next week. We're going to pick back up in Luke and study the life of Jesus. As we get to giving, I'm going to teach it. But I'm not going to come up here and beg you every week. I'm not your mama, and I'm not your Holy Spirit. Put God to the test. Okay. Did I handle that okay, Chad? Thank you. All right. The floor is open. If you have any questions, I will do my best to answer them. Uh, Wednesday night at the Jubilee, you're talking about giving. Uh, I'm really reluctant to give a lot of times. Sorry to say, but I do that sometimes. But Wednesday night when he asked us to bless the money given to the missionary so it would double, uh, I told my wife, take the money, she had the last bit of money we had in her her purse. I said, I don't know how I'm going to get gas or anything, but go ahead and get it. She blessed it, put it in an offering plate. As we were leaving, a couple that we knew at Southside came up and gave my wife a $100 bill. So, Amen. Any other questions? I guess for um, communion, how often do we do communion here? We do communion uh, once a quarter on the first Wednesday night. So we do, do it on Wednesday night. And, the re- and we do communion on Christmas Eve. We have a Christmas Eve service. And the reason why we do it on Wednesday nights is it's really hard when this, in this room to get the cups out and everything. And it's really just logistics. But once a quarter on a first Wednesday night. And we try to put it in the bulletin the week before that that happens. Well, that was easy. Tom, I've been wondering, of course, being a part of CR and everything, we feed everybody. Yes, ma'am. And so then I got the chance to collect offering. I don't know if that's biblically for a woman to do in the Baptist church. But anyways, they were desperate. So, but what I'm wondering is, are we allotted so much money in CR? Because I know... There's no way possible that, well, there is way possible, but for us, when we pass the plate, does that pay for the food? No, ma'am. Um, real, just some background. Um, when I first came here, I, I recognized that there was a huge divide between CR and the church. And I, I, I think uh, Christy will recognize this because this was the speech that I gave them. So there are two lies that are per- being permeated right now. One lie is in CR that that little old lady who's 64 years old and never done nothing has nothing to offer me. That's a lie. She's got a lot to offer. And the second lie is, is that's just a bunch of junkies in there. That's a lie. And so I've worked really hard to tear down that this wall to bring our church into CR and then feed CR into this church. How many of you here 
have, have been to a CR service. I think that's already been asked. If you want to see God move, it's amazing. There's nothing like watching a lost man turn to Christ. So, <clears throat> one of the things that we have done is we've merged CR into our normal budget. And so now that meal, um, the, the, there's a, a, a salary, a little stipend that goes for the person who's trying to coordinate everything. All of that is just our regular budget. So, what we do with all of that money that's given in CR, and it's typically, Bruce, what, $70 a, month, uh, a night? $60, $70 a night. That is put in an envelope and dropped in the safe. It's treated with the same care and respect as the offering that's given here on Sunday morning. And so there are two people that, that see that count. The off, off envelope is signed, and then that just goes into our regular budget. And so the church pays for that meal um, and um, all of those expenses. And you know what? That's, that's the church giving back. I, I have, have talked to some people um, regularly who are pastors in other places. Um, I've pastored in other places. And uh, I am so... Anne and my family, we're so honored to be able to serve you as our pastor. I love this group of people. Charles Spurgeon said it's a very different thing. Or loving to preach is a very different thing than loving the people you preach to. And over the last two and a half years that my family and I have been here, we have fallen in love with you guys. And that, can, that makes things complicated. I, I've told the story before that um, if somebody I didn't know come up and cussed me, I wouldn't really care. But if Ann told me that I was an idiot, that would hurt my feelings because I love her and I care what her opinion is. And so as we have grown more in love with you, that means that the criticism hurts worse. <laughs> I have never pastored a church that I didn't have a group of people that were actively trying to defeat anything that I did. I don't have that in this church. I'm not saying that I agree with everybody on everything. Some of you probably disagree uh, with me right now. But I don't have anybody, there's nobody that I know of in this church that is actively going around behind me trying to destroy things. And that gives me a freedom to serve my Savior. That gives me a freedom to be able to um, realize that as I'm praying for you, we're both wanting the same thing from God. And that is a rare, rare gift. I had a church that called me a few months ago. And, and, and they said they'd, they'd watched the sermons online and they, they were interested in talking with, with me about a job. And I said... Unless there's an angel at the foot of my bed, I ain't going nowhere. Now, I, I'm not trying to predict what God will or will not do. But I'm saying that it's a rare thing, at least in my, my life, it has been a rare thing to be able to serve God and know that the men behind you have your back. And we thank you, thank you, thank you for letting us serve you. Well, 
What I'd like us to do as we come to this time of invitation is I'd like to open the altar for us to pray for our church. God has blessed us in a way that is miraculous. There is no logical reason that this church should still have its doors open. The only reason it does is because God is still on the throne. And so I would like to open this altar for us to pray for our church, to pray for each other. And I would like to um, say, if you don't know the Savior that we serve, I would love to, to share that with you. Father God, Lord, I thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done amongst us. I thank you for the way that you've grown this church. Lord, I thank you for the way that you've moved. Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless us. God, I pray that you would continue to teach us. I pray that you would continue to convict us. In Jesus' name, amen.